Peter Bergman again, the Daily Radio Free Oz podcast. And this is the morning after the fourth GOP debate, and them seven garden gnomes really went after each other. I'm going to play for you now the wrap-up from my twitting of this very debate last night. On each of the commercial breaks, I do a three- or four-minute piece, and at the end, I wrap it up, and here's what it looked like to me. So there it is, the fourth debate. Seven instead of eight. I don't think John Huntsman would have made any difference, and I think they're going to whittle down the garden gnomes as we go. But hey, it was a Donnybrook. It was a... It was a sideshow. There were a bunch of freaks up there. I, I, I like that. I mean, it made it move along. But think about the fact that for all that hot air, nothing substantive was addressed. Unemployment is a real problem. The environment is a real problem. Structural unemployment. The fact that the oceans are dying. Global warming is not a fiction. We have a foreign policy that is wrecked. Uh, Europe is on the, on the edge of a, a huge crash, taking us with it. There's all sorts of issues that are human issues that they won't deal with. The only human problem that they can, that they can come up with, every one of them, the only human problem is Obama. It's all his fault. There's something so childish about this. And also, if this is the key to the Republican Party, if it's all pointed at Obama and he beats them in November, then what do we need the Republican Party for anymore? Not that I want to get rid of them. Of course, this isn't the Republicans I grew up with. You know, they had a, a center, a middle, a right. They even had liberal Republicans. The people up on the stage want to get rid of the United Nations, build fences and use drones and lots of boots on the ground to keep the illegal aliens out to do the work that these folks and the folks they hang out with would never touch. They aren't dealing with the fact that the average person that's unemployed has been unemployed for 41 weeks. Nobody talks about the real pain. Michelle with her, like, God-given glaze says, Moms, moms, hang on. Foreclosure help is on the way. What? Bull putty. It's, it's so disingenuous. But hey, it's entertainment. And it's free. And I'm glad it's there. Now they're going to take a pause. We aren't going to get the yammer to yak for a while, which will give them all a chance to put it together. Perry has obviously been taking some debate lessons and getting some good sleep before the debate. He definitely had his energy. The slowbo was Herman Cain. He kept getting caught in all these silly things he's saying because he doesn't have a clue. He's a guy that's been spending the last three or four years doing motivational speeches for the Koch brothers. This is the president? Excuse me. And you'll have to excuse me because I'm going to wrap this up. Join me tomorrow on RadioFreeOz.com where we'll do another issue of Everything You Know Is Wrong, Wrong, Wrong. That's RadioFreeOz.com. Peter Bergman, signing off. So that was pretty much how it went down. I read a lot of the pundits today. Some say that Romney showed that he could be rattled under fire. Um, I thought basically the biggest news was the beginning of the deflation of Herman Cain's balloon. But, you know, everybody reads out of these things whatever they see. Anyhow, we're back. 
Occupy Wall Street is rattling a few windows and is bothering the right wing to the point where they've come up with the latest smear on uh, Occupy, which is that it's anti-Semitic. They show a picture of one guy holding up an obviously the Jews rule Wall Street anti-Semitic sign and then Rush Pigmouth and all the other people uh, make this claim. What they don't show, because they crop the photo so carefully, is that there's a guy next to him with a sign pointing at this guy saying, this guy is an idiot. No, Occupy Wall Street isn't anti-Semitic. The reason that everybody is so upset is that it isn't really anything. You can't pigeonhole it because... It's so real. I haven't got down to one of the demonstrations yet, but I will, and I'll take my tape recorder with me, and then we can hear some of those people vive voce. Romney, like I said, Romney is a silly git. He says the strangest things. Now, this is not from the debate last night. It's the day before. You know, if he wins the Republican nomination, which is certainly not for sure, there's a video clip from uh, the Las Vegas Review Journal, a local paper in the debate location that talked with him, and asked him about the foreclosures because Nevada is one of those swing states very affected by the mortgage crisis. Here's what Romney said. As to what to do for the housing industry specifically, and are there things that you could do to encourage housing? One is don't try and stop the foreclosure process. Let it run its course and hit the bottom. Allow investors to buy homes, put renters in them, fix the homes up, and let it turn around and come back up. It's poison. It's pure poison. Do you know how many people have had to leave their homes because of foreclosure? Do you know how many people are underwater with their mortgages? Middle class folks, people who vote, people I think who will take not so well to this. Mitt just doesn't have a whole lot of common sense. Well, how do the people see these candidates? Here's an interesting piece of news. The uh, Washington Post uh, Pew Research Council ran a poll that looks at the first word that comes to mind for people when they hear the names Herman Cain, Rick Perry, and Mitt Romney. Predictably for Herman Cain, it's 999. Surprising, by far the most mentioned word in association with Mitt Romney is Mormon. By the way, in another poll, 68% of those Republicans who said they're going to vote in the primary are bothered by the fact that Romney is a Mormon. And here's the bad sign for Governor Goodhair. The first word that comes to mind is Texas, but the second most common word is no, and the third most common word is idiot. Hi, this is Chip Cheney world-class water border for Hacker Smack. My Uncle Dick taught me what to do when I was at the wrong end of a terror wave. Punk em and dunk em, he said. Right on. Putting the surfs down is hard work and scary. Me? I drown my fears with a tall, shiny can of Hacker Smack. It's my favorite punch when I'm in a crunch. So don't let the horrors of everyday life put you under. Come up for air with a six-pack of smack. That's right, Chip. Hacker Smack will keep you up as long as you can keep it down. Hacker Smack is an adrenal-blasting blend of caffeine, alcohol, mahuang, and country-style methamphetamine. Hacker Smack, a deniable dye product of Alzheimer's Brewery, Rehab, Colorado. Let's talk drugs, marijuana, and alcohol. Well, it's happened. In the mid-90s, only a quarter 
of the U.S. population thought that marijuana should be legal against a huge 73% majority shown in the yearly Gallup poll on legalization. Fifteen years later, there's been a sea change. 50% now think it should be legal, the issue's first majority in the history of the Gallup survey, with only 46% against it. Gallup has tracked the issue for over 40 years, yet it's really only been close in the last few. In fact, only five years ago, there was a healthy majority against legalization, but the change may have to do with shifting demographics over time. Yes, and the Democratic Party is really happy about those shifts. More liberal in the sense that they're willing to look at both sides of an issue and experiment. Expectedly, younger Americans are more likely to support making pot legal. Quote, if this current trend on legalizing marijuana continues, pressure may build to bring the nation's laws into compliance with the people's wishes, says the Gallup poll. We'll dream on for a bit because it's still a toxic issue. But check this out. In 1970, 84% of the population polled said marijuana should be illegal. 12% were for it. Today, 50% for it, 46 behind. My, 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 that is a sea change. But what about our other drug, the deadly drug? Drinking costs the U.S. $200 billion a year. Heavy drinking is costing the U.S. economy $200 billion a year, mostly in lost workplace productivity, according to a U.S. health agency. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said on Monday that in 2006, the price tag for excessive drinking was an estimated $223 billion, nearly 21% higher than the $185 billion it cost in 1998, the last time a study was undertaken. 72% was due to lost productivity, and most of the cost was borne by the drinkers themselves in the form of lost income. Yeah, but it's also lost productivity. When people are out because they're hung over, it affects the productivity of the entire workplace. Healthcare outlays accounted for another 11% of the total economic cost of heavy drinking, the CDC said, followed by criminal justice expenses and motor vehicle crash costs caused by impaired drivers. And remember, Herman Cain stood strongly against lowering the legal alcohol blood content limit because he was the head of the Restaurateurs Association and they make big bucks off of booze. The CDC defines excessive drinking as, on average, more than one alcoholic beverage a day for women and more than two a day for men. But the agency said, get ready here, that nearly three-quarters of the costs were caused by binge drinking, four or more drinks per occasion by women, or five or more by men. Binge drinking is on the rise. Blackout. It says something about a generation that just wants to go out at night and fall down dead drunk. It does say something. And now they're turning out, of course, all these wonderful super drinks for loco. Hey, drink one can of for loco and it's like five beers. That's right. One can and you're a binge drinker. Hey, 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 marijuana. That puts people in jail. Ha. Huh. Alcohol, that puts people on the sidewalk. You don't think so? Well, then, my dear friend, Everything you know is wrong.